So I did something this week that I have not done in over two years. Like since since we all went home, I did something for the first time this week that I have not done since then. Yeah, what's that? I caught a cold. Oh no! Oh no! Oh no! Oh my goodness! Is, you know, is everything had, okay? Is it actually a cold? Is it I, I, else? I, I tested myself a few times, <laughs> a few times over several days. Yeah, because uh, my my body right now is just not having it. It is yeah. very much a cold. Like I do remember this feeling. It's been a while. <laughs> yes, yes. The thing is, like because I've basically been a bubble boy mm-hmm, for, mm-hmm. for two and a half years, my immune system is just shot. Right, so where it used to just be a little bit of fatigue and a sniffle and a mild fever for two or three days, now I'm just like, you know, uh, like my, my body's like, uh, uh-uh. uh. But yeah, it, it was it was a weird feeling. I was like, I remember this, and yet and all the same, I was like, I don't remember this at all. Welcome <laughs> to wherever you are. My name is Ryan McNeil, Toronto, Canada. You are listening to episode 288 of the Matinee Cast. It's a movie loving podcast of the Matinee.ca. Your home for cinematic passion and perspective. Today, we are going to talk about a story where foolishness meets introspection. And I couldn't think of a better guest than the one joining me. You see, for more than 10 years now, he's been talking to the podcast version of the airwaves to discuss films. Sometimes those discussions are introspective, other times very, very foolish. The best part, though, it's all gold. Conversations circle around cinematic legends like Louis Binwell and Gia Janak, but inevitably circle back to what's happening in Man City and how much time was spent playing Red Dead Redemption. That's a thing, right? Of course it is, but we like to refer to it as Grand Theft Horse. Good to know. <laughs> he is the co-host of Tump, the unnamed movie podcast direct from Kingston, Jamaica. Please welcome Douglas Robinson to the show. How are you, sir? I am very well, thank you, Ryan. How are you? I'm well. I'm, I'm happy that you're back. You know that this should be a bingo square on the on the on the matinee cast bingo card. Ryan apologizes for not bringing back a guest <laughs> over several years. I, I you know, it, I, it's it's not for lack of friendship or lack of desire. It just it happens. Um, speaking of, uh, I'm actually just putting out a call uh, for guests. If you're a listener of the show, or if you're another podcaster who listens to the show, um, and you want to join me for a show, um, I, you know, I've got in mind, of course, people who come and go from the show at regular intervals as people are used to, but I would like to get some new people on the show as well. Um, or people who I I just haven't had back in a while. So if you want to come back to the matinee cast or come by for your first time, um, please drop me a line. All the regular channels are open. Just, um, I'd love to hear from you and I'd love to talk to you. We have an episode to do today though. So on episode 288, we will be discussing the unbearable weight of massive talent. I can't even read this title without laughing. We'll be turning the record over to play the other side. First, we need to learn more about Douglas. This is Know Your Enemy. Mr. Robinson first appeared on episode 167, where we talked about Denny Villeneuve's arrival. On that episode, we learned the first film he saw in a theater was Beetlejuice. The last film he'd seen at the time was Gross Point Blank. The worst film he's ever seen is The Butcher Boy. The unseen classic or essential uh, was It's a Wonderful Life. Still? Still haven't seen it. Wow. That's that's some doing, man. Uh, And the film he wished he made uh, is The Fall, which, by the way, I have seen since we talked and yeah that movie that movie slaps 
Douglas return on episode 193. We talked about the Cloverfield paradox. We learned the film he digs that nobody else does is Casanova. The film everybody else likes that he doesn't is Wally. The last film to make him cry is a film called Dad, starring Ted Danson and Jack Lemmon. In the movie of his life, he'd be played by Donald Gleason, and the movie he was watching next was Ocean's 12. So it is time for round three. Mr. Robinson, interpret this question any way you wish. What was the film that made your love of film turn a corner? So this one was an interesting question because, you know, you can always interpret it as, hey, what was the first film that really got you into, into this life of loving movies? But, but how I kind of interpreted it was a little bit more because I feel like I've always, since I was a child, had that love, right? Um, whether it is just simply, ooh, I love sitting down in front of the television and watching the cartoons or The Three Amigos, which uh, <laughs> I have to say was that is an institution for me and my brother actually <laughs> andrew um that will forever be like cast in in the robinson family history gotcha. um but my real answer for you and uh, this one might be a little bit controversial I, I definitely still love this 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 director for what they do and um what it did for me is it made me kind of realize or or appreciate that the ugly and the the barbaric can also be beautiful and in, in, intriguing and, and and endearing. And that movie was Antichrist, uh, <laughs> directed by Lars von Trier. Um, <laughs> for those who who listen to me spew about my love for movies in other you know avenues, will know how much I love um, pretty much anything that I've seen from this fella. Uh, this movie was grotesque. Right. It was disgusting. There, the, the themes were, were depressing and horrible. And actually, that's a great way to describe anything this man has ever done. So it's funny. You're not the first person to bring up that film in this section of the show. And the last time it did come up in this section of the show, I said, I'm going to make that movie a priority because I still haven't seen it. I'm going to make that film a priority. I'm going to seek it out. I'm going to sit down and finally endure what it is. I know the the broadest strokes about what it's about. I really don't, actually. And I kind of want to keep it that way and just okay. go in, right? Yeah. Um, and I still haven't. <laughs> That's so that episode was at least within the last year, and I still haven't indulged. Um, but I, I know kind of I know its reputation, and like you said, I know it's about something truly dark, truly horrifying, and told in such a beautiful way. I think what's interesting about that answer is in that moment you found out that film can do something else. You know, like you knew that film could entertain, you knew that film could move, um, that film could inspire probably, you know, like as you, you've watched as many sports movies as I have probably more. Um, but I, I, if I'm hearing you right, that movie, which then led you to more movies like it, like movies that inspired it and movies that then copied it. Yeah. It sounds like what you're saying is that movie led you to understand that movie can, movies can be thematically ugly thematically yes. disturbing and yet at the same time emotionally resonant oh of course you know and, and you may not even agree with some of the things that are, are going no, on in the movie you know but like, i mean like 
what you're okay. So this is not at all a comparison between the two, mm-hmm. but but it's it's one of the thoughts that comes to because it comes to mind. There is a schlocky horror film out there from this century that was all about a mad scientist stitching three people together. Okay, I'm not. I'm, yeah, you know which yeah. one it is. I know which one it is. Yeah, that movie is grotesque. That movie is uh-huh. only meant to shock horrify and disgust there is no redeeming value to it. it's junk food it's complete junk food and terrible junk food at that because i believe that junk food can be good if done well this movie is not that this movie is something that wants to tell something disturbing and grotesque but give it some sort of strange nourishment it's like a vitamin that tastes terrible going down but it's actually strangely good for you. As you said, you know, that, that movie you're talking about, it's, you know, <laughs> uh, what I tend to call it is, is garbage. But, but yeah. there can be great garbage, right? As, yeah. as you said, there, there are movies that I know, like, objectively. They're not good, but I love them to death and I watch them over and over. Yeah. Um, uh, Antichrist is actually quite the opposite. Yeah. As much as I heap praise on this movie, I have probably watched it maybe three times. Okay. Um, I, I do own it, by the way, which is yet another thing. It's weird. I have all of these movies that I own and I don't watch it as much no, no, as I should. I got, I got you. But, okay. I really, really need to make this a priority. So thank you for yeah. reminding me. I, uh, I will say this, though, right? Yeah, yeah. I completely appreciate anybody, yourself included, who is like, yo, I, I can't do this because it is. Um, and, and all his movies are hard <laughs> right? well, I've, I've seen i've seen um, several i do know what i'm getting into okay okay so you know i'm, I'm not completely i'm not completely ill-versed i've seen several yeah. uh it's just this one i just i it's it's i've been circling yeah. it for a while and i think i finally need to to pull the shoot yeah. uh douglas robinson what was your first date movie uh so that's an interesting one i think <laughs> why is that everybody's <laughs> answer like nobody's <laughs> able to say i went out with bobby or Susie and we saw con air <laughs> everybody's so always like well <laughs> define date ryan that's the thing for me right gotcha. so so um dates for me um aren't generally movie dates right okay um my actual answer and the thing that actually resonates most with me probably also because i don't really like this movie but it has become like important to me since then because of it is across the universe um and I know most people like that movie. And of course, I love the Beatles and the music is great. I remember I'd watch it a few times and it wasn't anything special. And of course, it helps that uh, my brother loved it a little too much. <laughs> <laughs> it happens. It happens. Um, but I did uh, have a, a significant first date where that was a key part of it. That's an interesting date movie because... You're not, you're not necessarily sure of what you're getting into. Like every, you know, you, you may or may not have known that you were getting into a musical. Julie Tamor is not what I'd call a brand. I, she was sort of a brand for me going in just because uh, I knew what she had done with The Lion King and I loved what she did with Frida. Um, saying you like the Beatles is like saying you like pizza. It's not exactly yeah. <laughs> a radical decision. That, that would have been an interesting date movie because, first of all, I know a lot of people either seem to really like that movie or really hate it. It's yeah. not it's not quite as universally loved as you think it is. I know oh, a lot wow. of okay. people who don't like that movie. Um, it was drubbed at the time. It made no money, uh, even though I think that the arrangements of the songs in it are really good. 
and have been copied like crazy. A date for that movie, because I'm thinking if one of you loved it and one of you hated it, as is possible, uh, that could have made for a very interesting conversation afterwards. Yes, it could have. And thankfully, I did what every um, good uh, prospective boyfriend should do which is my homework to know that she already liked that movie. <laughs> okay. okay. And you just like played into that. Exactly. Exactly. And it was, it was a whole thing. <laughs> That's good. I like it. No, it's a good one. Very good. Uh, I mean, this is apt considering how we let off this show. Douglas Robinson, what is your sick day movie? Woo! Sick day movie. <laughs> I have so many like just garbage movies that I watch. Uh, but I have to say that there is a clear winner for when I am sick, when I can't move a muscle, and I need just popcorn garbage down my throat, in my eyes. Uh, and that is the magic that is A Knight's Tale. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> we got a lot of Heath Ledger in these conversations, man. Heath Ledger is great. Heath Ledger is, was, will always be a star, right? Um, even... When he first started um, with, well, I'm not a big 10 things I hate about you fan, but the Patriot. So, so like he, I, I honestly don't know that there is a film that he has done that I really hate. Um, well, he's going to say, you've already gone to bat for Casanova. So really, exactly. <laughs> you know, uh, and if people go into the annals of Tump history, they'll find you talking about the Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. A Knight's Tale. I was actually thinking about that this week because one of the scenes, one of the cinematic scenes that lives in my head rent-free is the cast dancing to David Bowie's Golden Years. That is a great scene. Yeah, that was, yeah. that was, that, that's a wonderful scene. Uh, that might have been my introduction to Golden Years, to be honest, mm-hmm. um, even though I was a pretty big Bowie fan at the moment. That was one of the tracks that I didn't really know. So that movie's foolish. Um, yes, it it's a good kind of foolish. It's yeah. a silly kind of foolish. Yeah. It it is it is not pretending to be high art, uh, which is what I love about. It. Yeah, I, I could see that for a sick day movie because you like. I mean, one of the things about that movie is when we were younger, that was the kind of movie that was played on TV to death all the time. So yeah, so you know the scenes, you know that it's got like you know the the Rocky sequence and the dance sequence. It, like yeah, it's it's. It's very much comforting junk. Of course. And, and Paul Bettany playing Jeffrey oh, Chaucer yeah. um, as an announcer of, of this great night <laughs> or fake night jousting, is, yeah. it's superb. Yeah. Mark Addy and Alan Tudyk, oh, as, Alan the, Tudyk. As, as the squires. <laughs> yes. Uh, I haven't watched that movie in a minute, and I, I think it's time for me. Like, it's I'm still shaking the cold, so I think it counts. There you go. <laughs> um, all right, so kind of, kind of playing nicely off your first answer. What is a film um, that left you speechless? Hamilton, right? Which I'm not even sure if 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 you want to call it a film, but I will, right? Because no, I'll allow it. Yeah, <laughs> the it came out in the summer of 2020. Yeah. Right? Yep. And here is how much it affected me. Um, between, and I actually like tracked this down and, and, and figured this out, between July 4th of 2020, which is the first day I saw it, and July 24th, the three weeks, I watched that movie nine times. Dear God. Which is an average of three times a week, which is oh, ridiculous. Goodness. 
Okay. Um, to date. And it's not a short it. movie either. It's not a short. It's two hours <laughs> and 40 minutes long. Yeah, so to do that is, yeah. is it, it's something. Um, to date, I've watched it 13 times. And that does not okay. count all the times that I know. And I know I've done this at least four or five times where I've started it, only watched the first act, paused it. And because right, I waited right, a little right. while, the next time I press play, I said, you know what? I'll start it from start the beginning. Yeah. So like, I have watched this movie so many times. I'm, I'm starting to be able to sing along with it um, at certain points. It's, it's great. And the the, <laughs> yeah, that, that movie, like for me, because it probably wasn't traditionally like a, a film, right? It was uh, a, a taping of uh, a live, well, a bunch of live shows put together and, and some, some technical magic, magic as well. It is and, what and, the, uh, Broadway aficionado I call my life partner would mm-hmm. refer to as a pro shot. Ah, okay. Well, pro shot. I, yeah. I, I'll take that term and run with it. To, to watch this and see simple things like, I don't know, the ground move and, uh, or the stage move and for them to, to, to do quite literally bullet time technology in like live action with people and for it to actually work um it was amazing to me and it for anybody who listened to to tom when we because we did speak about that movie that episode turned into not what usually happens which is everybody talking about it it was just my review for about an hour and then everybody was like all right i guess we'll leave that alone (laughs) (laughs) so fun fact uh we all went home in March of 2020. The very last thing I did before we all went home, really and truly at a risky point in all of this, because it was like, we all went home on a Friday. I did this on a Thursday, was see Hamilton. Awesome. It was the very last thing I did. Um, I had been listening to that album for, by that point, five years, six years, four years, thereabouts, uh, over and over and over. I knew like all kind. I knew all kinds of references that were in it. I knew all kinds of like, you know, this was crib from this, and this is a reference to this, uh, both hip hop and Broadway alike. And I'd seen some of it in context, very, very little in context because there wasn't a lot of really live capture of the scenes. Some of them, you know, were, were captured and, and made it uh, out into the world. But there was a lot of it that was just in my head. Where This is my long rambling way of asking you, going into that, what was your experience? Like, did you only know the music? Did you know nothing? Where were you coming in? I knew pretty much nothing except for the hype, right? Cool. That okay. this that thing the, was great. You took that one both barrels. And the only way it could have hit you any harder is if you had been sitting in a theater and and taking those double taking those two barrels in the chest. Um I think that is that is what I love most about it. Like Hamilton's fans can be a little much um but there was all of this clamor to get that cast um on the record. You know, like not on the right re- like not on the audio record but visually on the record because that is this murderer's row of modern broadway and the the visual performance to go along with the audio performance that anybody with you know a spotify account could hear 
was what everybody wanted to see. So seeing these visual inflections that I'd never seen before, and even seeing them change from the rhythms that I knew on the on the record, um, was was amazing. So I can first of all, I mean, it's cool that you you know caught up with the hype, and you're like, oh shit, hype is hype is pretty good. Yeah, um, <laughs> but yeah, like the, the that's that's the thing is like any show like this, like the visual is worth just as much as the audio. Last but not least for now, uh, Douglas Robinson, what is a film quote that would be your epitaph? Well, this is a very easy one for me. Uh, uh, it would likely be a line from the great movie, War on Everyone. Um, uh, and that line is, you should see the other guy. He's totally unscathed. <laughs> Perfect. Love it. No explanation needed. No, no. Here we go. That is more about Douglas Robinson. It will not take me nearly as long to have to get him back on for a fourth round of Know Your Enemy, and we'll uh, delve deeper in then. Um, until then, we have another movie to talk about today, and this is a humdinger. Uh, we are going to talk about, uh, we're going to go back just a, a month or two uh, in terms of new releases, a film that is making the rounds on demand. So if you want to rent it at home, it's on most of the usual platforms for a very low price. Uh, throw some money at this movie and give it a rent. We're going to talk about the unbearable weight of massive talent in just a moment. It's the new slang right after this. Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent is directed by Tom Gormican. It's written by Gormican along with Kevin Etten. It stars Nicolas Cage. There are other people in this movie, but it stars Nicolas Cage. The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent is about Nicolas Cage. Really, that's it, that's all. If one must have more detail, and it's a podcast, so I guess we must... It's about a fictional version of Cage who is so dead broke and out of fashion in Hollywood that he will take a million dollar job to be the birthday guest of honor at a party in Mallorca for a person he's never met or heard of. That person is Javi and he's played by Pedro Pascal. He is the Nick Cage superfan, but he's also involved in a plot to kidnap the daughter of a politician. The meaning of the two is surveilled by the CIA, who somehow managed to recruit Cage to work against his new contractor and bring the girl to safety. Yes, really. What happens next is a mishmash of buddy comedy, meta-commentary, tender-hearted declaration to love what you love, and so much more. The unbearable weight of massive talent should be spectacularly dumb. Like, really and truly, Battlefield Earth meets Pluto Nash, dumb. And yet, of everything we can and will say about this film, which we'll get into in a moment, the one word that cannot be used to describe this movie is dumb. It is introspective, it is existential, it is silly at times, yes, but somehow, a movie where Nicolas Cage celebrates himself, plays himself, sometimes opposite himself, and has so much dialogue about himself is never, ever dumb. 
pop quiz hotshot. How the living hell did this movie avoid being so dumb? As you said, this movie really threaded that needle, right? Because um, going in, um, to be honest, I am a huge Nick Cage fan. Uh, probably because I grew up during the time of uh, The Rock, during right. the time of Face Off, which is still one of my favorite movies. Um, you grew up during like Wave 2. You grew up during yeah. like Cage 2.0. You know, yeah. so we've gone through like Raising Arizona mm-hmm. and, some, and um, Wild at Heart Cage. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, like you, you went through like Goofy Cage and an Oscar winning Cage. And then we got like cage supermax cage yeah. two point cage 2.0 you know cage i don't give a hell and I'm, I'm i'm here to make my money but boy did he earn that money to this day i still give him a chance no matter what and that becomes that's becoming a lot easier lately with some of the the interesting things that he's doing right you know you know we talk about pig that most people like we talk about um, Willie's Playhouse or whatever that one is called, which most people don't, but I like. I love it. Um, <laughs> and, and then we have this, this piece de resistance, right? Where, as, as you say, he is playing himself. He is um, mocking himself. He is creating something more weirdly that you never thought could be there. And all of those things are existing at the same time because I would call this movie dumb, but you you put it the right way. It's not really dumb. It's quite silly, right? Um, and it, it, it transcends that silliness to become something quite a lot more. Probably my favorite aspect of this movie is just how it moves, how it goes from one act to the other to the other one extreme to the next and it feels like the characters that nick cage and, and pedro pascal their characters actually move the the film that we are watching by um commenting on it in what they are doing um together right um which is a pretty amazing um plot writing, script writing, whatever you want to call it. Because it's so, for lack of a better word, meta, and and so just endearing and intriguing. And and this movie that I honestly was a little worried about, even though I wanted to watch it, but was a little worried about that it could just simply be this this vehicle for, for Nick Cage to say, look at me and how great I am. Uh, and maybe poke a little fun at himself. It became this great character study of these two people and, and how they you know, um, bond and together and, 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 and how they like build on, on each other and become better people. And wow, you know, <laughs> I, I think you're on to something. I, I think it, it avoids being dumb. It doesn't drive any one joke into the ground, you know, like this is a movie that is very much about Nick Cage, but at the same time, you can take a lot of the caginess out of this movie and it still works. You know, like it's still very much about these two guys trying to figure out who the heck they are. Uh, you know, both of them have far too much time and money on their hands. And it's this moment where both of these grown men are, are like having this moment of realizing I should really do something more. You know, I think that that to me might be my answer is it would be one thing for this movie to just linger in 
how awesome is Nick Cage? And it does, right? It, it really does want us to really think long and hard about how awesome is Nick Cage. But it doesn't stay there. It also wants us to, you know, think about the people who we uh, make fun of. It does want us to think about our own fandom and our own juvenile pursuits, you know, and, and, and about these things to grow up. So it, it, it always, it does keep coming back to this same joke that Nicolas Cage is absurd because he is and always will be. And that is why we love him. Um, but it never stays there. I think that for me is why this movie is never dumb is it never really leans back on the very easy thing. Like this movie, you know, if, if I could think of one movie that this movie should be, this movie should be hot tub time machine. It should say what it is and then just keep using that joke over and over and over. It, sh- it could be called all cage everywhere all, all at once. Um, and yet it's not. This movie, I mean, so it, it hits all the right notes. You know, it, it actually and at some stages it it even effectively becomes Cage's movies from the 90s where he is he is a superhero. Right. Yeah. Which which is really cool. Um, and, you know, he, it, Cage is able to wink and nod at the camera the whole way through. Um, and still it's, it's, it's endearing. And it goes through all of these different stages. It starts out with him uh, essentially being this desperate actor who is, um, you know, having having lunch with, uh, I think it's a new director or something like that, and, and you know, trying to get this, this job and, and, and moving through. And, and we get through to the conceit of, okay, I have to go visit Pedro Pascal uh, because, you know, I need this money and I'm going to just do this job. And then that's when the movie really balloons into uh, what no... I, I don't think anybody could have, you know, seen where this is going no. um but it is it's it has great comedic value i think uh we really so we're talking about a, a lot about nick cage because this is effectively as you said nick cage everywhere all at once yeah um and so we shouldn't discount that but in doing so we are really underappreciating the rest of the the cast and in particular the rest of that duo pedro pascal um, has shown in other things that, that, that you know, he's done very recently, but in particular here, that he is a force to be reckoned with. And he can do the huge, broad, I am a comedic guy um, shtick, um, no matter what. But he's, he's great. I, I, I like him a lot. He does really well in this movie. And to play this kind of wide-eyed, innocent facade when there is this sort of dark, cl- ominous cloud behind him um, that you're wondering about, you know, w- w- what, are we, what are we really, who are we really seeing? Um, and, and for him to play that and to play it well and to, to, to have us kind of second guess ourselves while laughing at him mm-hmm. is, 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 is kind of amazing. I really didn't know what I was getting into, to be entirely honest. Like, I thought that I was just going to be moving this show along. I was like, well, that's available. Let's talk about that. <laughs> um, I, I, As I said, I thought I might be getting into, like, a hot tub time machine kind of thing. I really thought I was going to be getting into a movie that was going to be far too meta for my taste. I don't like when a film winks too much. You know, like, the, there's a there's a line, and I don't know it until it crosses. Yeah. But, but when movies get too knowing 
pardon the pun. Um, <laughs> that, that, that's sorry, sorry, sorry. Um, as I describe a meta problem, um, that's when I start to kick right, and I thought that was going to be what was happening here. Um, no, that is not what is happening here. This movie, this movie. I I mean, that might be what this movie does best is it is completely aware of the line it is always aware of just how far it can push something before it stops being funny and then it moves on to something else right like i mean first of all it moves on oftentimes you know if it's doing something goofy it'll move on to something sweet or move on to something sad or sometimes move on to something that's like you know exciting or violent or whatever but every time it's doing something goofy or every time it's doing something really really meta it knows that we've got like three minutes to do this and at two minutes and 59 seconds, it's out. You know, it's like, okay, got it. See it. We're going to, we're going to move on now. Everything about it, like uh, the, the, the cast, the story, the, the silliness of it, the, the sweetness of it. Um, I am, I am very much surprised at how much I enjoyed this movie. Yeah, exactly. I mean, listen, who could have said, who could have thought that, that us two guys would be sitting down here talking about how much we liked a coming of age film um, about Nicolas Cage coming of age. Like, how, how is that? How is that even possible? Because yeah. I mean, that's that's kind of what this is, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> In a way. Yeah. And like, I mean, he look, quite literally wrestles with demons, doesn't he? He does. Yes. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, to put my cards on the table here, like, uh, l- let me, you know, we might as well talk about Cage and get that out of the way because we've been, yeah. you know, we've been hammering on this. But let's let, let's talk about Cage. So. Like you, like I like, you know, action era, late 90s, early O's cage. And then he gets weird. Every once in a while, he kind of seems to resurface with something where he finds the sweet spot. And I'm thinking of something like Kick-Ass or something like, uh, you know, what he does in Into the Spider-Verse. I'm not a fan of his really, really goofy shit from this century. Stuff like National Treasure or Knowing. There's, there, there is a, there's a Wicker Man joke. In this, they don't. They do nothing for me. Nada, zero. He as an actor, I mean, he interests me. He as a person is just like the stories about this man. Like, do a Google. Like, look over <laughs> his wiki page because this man has lived. This man has just weird quirk upon weird quirk. A lot of this movie touches upon them. Um, you know, for those who don't know, he was supposed to play Superman at mm-hmm. one point. Bend your brain around that one, if you will. Um, Can you imagine if that actually went forward? Oh like my what god, what that would look like? <laughs> Tim and wasn't it supposed to be Tim Burton directing? Tim Burton directing and Ooh. Kevin Smith writing. That would oh have boy. been <laughs> whoa. Um, he in this movie, he knows. He he knows all the stories. He knows all the legends. Uh, you know, he 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 owns them, and. He knows which ones he can use for laughs. He knows which ones he can use to tug on our heartstrings. Um, the writers obviously kind of crafted that with him. But it's it's amazing to see all the things he does. He, he knows when to go full cage, you know, for sure. But he also knows how to, how to dial it back. And that's really, really sweet to see. Just watching him, I, this movie is is a testament to Nick Cage, and I could just watch him close up like all day. Um, and you know, something that we haven't quite talked about yet that I really um, enjoyed about this movie, uh, and it's it's really kind of one dumb bit, <laughs> but it's 
visually amazing. Okay. <laughs> and it really does work. Is is um so this is a coming of age film. Nick Cage does quite literally wrestle with his demons. Uh what I haven't said is his demon particularly <laughs> is a younger de-aged Nick Cage. I was gonna say, I was like, it was a little <laughs> early for me, so my eyes are a little bit bleary. I was like, was he yeah. de-aged? He is de-aged. He's definitely de-aged. Yeah, he's but, de-aged. but these guys, they know what they're doing, right? So right. so they actually it's de-aged very badly mm-hmm. for um comedic for effects. Comedic effect, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. And there there are times where he actually his face looks like a painting, which is <laughs> <laughs> amazing. And 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 it's clear like Nick Cage does the work in this movie as much as it's very silly um and and we talk about that nick cage is clearly you know um he's treating this like this is cinema with a capital r right um and he behaves in 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 these these tete-a-tetes um he has himself he plays himself and he plays himself as his usual weird quirky self but then he plays the young his younger self um when you see that character that character reminds you of the nick cage in those crazy movies that you talked about oh i mean in the uh is it the kiss of the vampire what, what's yeah. the name of that movie again yeah um, that's, that's the thing that came to my mind when yeah. i saw that cage yeah that's the type of cage the yeah. character that we're seeing in with that guy he has a, a black leather jacket he's always chewing on a um <laughs> on a toothpick <laughs> he, he just looks cool yeah um and i have to say my favorite line in this movie um ryan uh nick cage smooch is good okay he just blurts it out he shouts it out after french kissing himself it is the best part of this film i know that we're talking about how it transcends the silly it transcends just being a a funny romp but when it goes there it goes there and it does it well (laughs) i mean this this film is like the 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 funny thing about this film is it is chock-a-block full of fantastic moments it really, really is. It is really sharply written. So, you know, talking about it being meta, they talk about making a movie about what's happening in the movie. Mm-hmm, and he's, mm-hmm. talk, he's talking about the script of this movie within the movie. And he's like, he's, he describes it as Cassavetes meets Inuritu with a dash of Von Trier. I was like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> oh my God. You know, <laughs> I don't even remember that, but my yeah. goodness, that is a smattering of styles. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There is so much about this movie that should not work. There is there is a part where Pedro Pascal, in front of a, a whole party, raises a glass and gives a speech about how much guarding Tess meant to him and his father <laughs> as a little boy. And sometimes and then we I felt like I was watching Tess. that movie. It's like, <laughs> what? What? Was like, of all the Nicolas Cage movies that I thought were going to come up within that <laughs> movie, that was way down the list. Yeah. Way down the list. I was like, okay, we're going there. Yeah. And you know what? It bloody works. It's like that, like that is, like you said, that is threading a needle to give an earnest speech holding a glass in front of a huge, like, you know, ultra rich birthday dinner to extol the virtue, like the personal attachment to guarding tests. And for the line to land. This movie's amazing. I, okay, wait, 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 wait. I do have one complaint about this what? movie. <laughs> one complaint, only one. 
and I feel it's apt for you and your 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 brand that you come in okay. with. Uh huh. I was deeply disappointed, Douglas Robinson. I was I was uh, dismayed. I was aghast. This movie has a very very distinct mm-hmm. lack of doves. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you know what? I did not um, think of it at the time, but I'm I'm right with you. And there is a scene. <laughs> There is a scene where they're like getting ready to go on the last leg of the adventure. Yes. And it's in this like, you know, Spanish church and they walk towards each other and like the John Woo type music is playing in the background. I'm like, there's doves. There's doves coming. I can see. I'm like, I'll bring on the doves. (laughs) There were no doves. Uh, And I can't can't even remember if that's when they did it, but they even shouted out John Woo at one point. And (laughs) Nick Cage under his breath, says something to the effect of, oh, yeah, John Woo's uh, um, like an artist or, yeah. you know, something very positive about it. Should have been more doves. Um, That's the only note. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, that, wow. Yeah, it needs more doves. Also, this, I mean, is this movie ever too meta? I don't think it is. I think that is actually where it shines and where it succeeds is in how it manages that. Uh, because there's always a line but this movie becomes essentially the, the meta-ness, shall we say, of this film drives the film. And that is probably the most interesting thing for me um, in watching it, right? O- outside of just having a great time, but um, just from a, like going above and beyond, um, that is the thing that makes this interesting rather than oh it was a great time a great yeah you know you know i I think like to build on what you're saying one of the ways i can tell it's not too meta is you don't need you don't need to have seen these other films to get the jokes like it's not Mm -hmm. like you know like okay so i'm here talking about a lack of doves but i'm here talking about a lack of doves because there's one movie where there's just so many freaking doves it's it's absurd um you know this movie doesn't completely rip off his very extensive filmography. Like there's lots of, you know, there's a scene where they walk into this weird trophy room, which includes this wax version of him, which oh, in, yeah. in, in classic Nicholas Cage style, he's like, can I buy that? Um, okay. So there's a moment where the movie is really meta because mm-hmm. Nicholas Cage is actually not doing as well as he should financially because he buys so much shit. Mm-hmm. Like this is a man who has had, several Mm -hmm. houses around the world just to store his stuff right Mm -hmm. so nicholas cage wanted to buy a wax statue of himself of like that's actually that that was like that's got layers (laughs) but like he's got so many movies that have stunts in them none of the stunts in this movie crib from national treasure or the rock or con air or face off or any of those you know none of the jokes there's just the bees joke i think really cribs from one of his previous like big lines you know when they go through the trophy room they're talking about like put the bunny back in the box that kind of thing but there's never any other you know very very say the line bart kind of you know that's more meta than anything else in this movie so i I think for me that that that's the thing is you could come into this movie actually not really knowing a whole lot about nick cage Mm -hmm. just that he's a weirdo and still come away enjoying it yeah, you're right because because this thing hits on the like at the high level, the conceptual level. If all you need to know is this guy is a celebrity, and so he's a little strange, 
and um, this is a, a, a weird adventure that it works on that level. Um, for for guys like me and you who have a, a, a bit more of a let's call it a relationship with the fella, an with appreciation. Yes, an appreciation. Then we get it even at a different level because we we understand to varying degrees what all of these things are referencing. Right, the fact that that the the financial troubles that um, they're talking about this in this movie uh, mirrors what we've seen in real life. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, the fact that he starts this film by complaining that everybody is saying, "Oh, you're in too many movies." And and he's he's saying, hey, I need to pay my bills. I need to I need to pay back my debt, right? Yeah, um, yeah. That is exactly the con- conversation that we've had about Nick Cage for the past twenty years, right? Um, and it's only lately that he still kind of operates in the same mode, but but he's starting to do things that feel more Nick Cagey rather than things that that you know he'll just do. <laughs> he's kind of um, he's doing a he's kind of got his own little reconnaissance, yes, going on. You know, he's finally he's found. The plateau of I can act a little weird and cagey, but not so crazy, and people will enjoy it. Yep. To go back to what you were saying before, which is your one disappointment is there were not enough dubs. No dubs. Not not even no dubs. dubs. Yeah, there weren't any. There were there. Yes. So I'm I'm with you wholeheartedly. There's also something else that um, I some people might uh, disagree with me, but. I'm here to tell you that Sharon Horgan is a superstar. Sharon Horgan is the lady that plays uh, Nick Cage's ex-wife. Um, she is amazing, and she's great in this movie, but um, more Sharon Horgan is always a welcome um, addition for me. So I'm just saying, guys, in part two, because there needs to be a sequel to this film. Um, <laughs> Even more unbearable weight <laughs> yes. of massive talents. <laughs> yes. We need some more Sharon Horgan. Um, for those of you who have not watched Catastrophe, please do. It is amazing. Um, but yeah, this okay. movie is pretty good. I love it. You know, we haven't talked too much about the supporting cast. Like we talked about Pedro Pascal, who yeah. is just a delight in this movie. Um, Tiffany Haddish and uh, Ike Barinholtz as the CIA agents who alternately like are the man in the chair for Nick Cage and also fans, you know, yeah. <laughs> who like yeah. geek out over them. Um, they do some amazing things. I, I mean, if you want... A, a clear indication of just how genius this movie is the scene where they talk Nick Cage through putting the toxin agent on his hand and they're like, don't touch anything. Cause now you're live and <laughs> Cage touches his forehead. It's like, are you sure? Did you touch your forehead? I'm not sure. Oh, there it is. You know, it's, 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 it's all so perfect them trying to keep him moving them just getting exacerbated by the fact that he can't keep moving how tiffany haddish eventually manages to snap him too you know like like basically like wave the smelling salt under him it's um like it's it's incredible um yeah there's so much about this movie to love i mean it's weird because on the one hand this movie is kind of therapy out loud you know like it's it's a lot of him uh, examining what his ego has cost him in life. It's, it's for a lot of us, it's what, how fixated are you on what you love um, and trying to force that upon other people rather than digging into what they love. You know, like there's, there's this long thing where his, he and his daughter are talking about the, the cabinet of Dr. Caligari and the daughter's like, eh, 
but he's like, oh, it's so cool. And he controls the sleepwalkers and it's so painterly and blah, blah, blah. And the daughter's like, I don't care, you know, mm-hmm. but it's like, you want her to care, you know, and we've, listen, we've all been there. Everybody who's current, present company included, yeah. anybody listening to the show, anybody in our lives, we have all wanted someone to love something as much as we love it. And if you say you haven't, you're lying. <laughs> the question is how far you go with it. I mean, the, this movie knows that a lot of us are taking that too far and wanting people to love what we love and getting drowned in that. And I love that that movie does this. And, and, and the funny thing is, I remember on recently on, on Twitter, um, everybody's been talking about Paddington 2. And I was like, what, <laughs> why is everybody getting... I mean, I love Paddington 2. Right. Who doesn't, right? right. Um, but why is everybody talking about it? And it wasn't until I watched this movie that I realized this is what sparked that conversation. Um, because uh, speaking about you know wanting people to, to, to love what they love, Nick Cage, it gets flipped on him where uh, Pedro Pascal says, my... One of my favorite movies is Paddington 2. And Nick Cage is like, get out of here. Come on. That's not possible. And cut to him crying at the end of Paddington 2. It's great. This, um, this, this movie really, like, it, it treats us to what I'm sure uh, I would love to be the real Nick Cage. It's clearly a fictionalized version of him. But, you know, it's, it's, it's such a great character that they've created. That you almost want to be like this is this is who you are. I I want to know this person because this person is that lovable scamp that um, is a little bit flawed, but not flawed enough for me to you know um, view in this positive light. I, lo- I love it. <laughs> like, listen, I'm an easy mark, but it actually takes a lot sometimes for me to actually laugh out loud, really full throat at something. And this movie got me because. Uh, Javi is talking about his all-time favorite movies, and he meant like he mentions one of Nick Cage's movies first. I think he mentions right. Conan, the first one, yeah. and then he says Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. And then when he goes, okay, so what's your third favorite movie of all time? He goes Paddington Two. It's like what? Doc- Cabinet of Dr. Caligari and Paddington Two connect those dots. And he's like, <laughs> I cried through the entire thing, and it made me want to be a better man. I was gone. <laughs> I was like, oh, I was like. <laughs> argue with that i uh, like and and i mean the funny thing is i've seen paddington too it's wonderful it's absolutely wonderful and i think i I, that's that's another reason why i love this movie is along with it having this message of you know reconnecting with people who care about us um and putting aside our own egos and our own bullshit um and loving what they love it also wants us not to be afraid to love what we love You know, like I, you know, I will, of course, champion the Citizen Kanes of the world and the Vertigos of the world and, you know, every bit of neo-realist post-Soviet existential piece of sci-fi. I think I just named one movie. Um, (laughs) But I will also, you know, if somebody sits me down and they're like, my favorite movie of all time is Paddington 2, I'll be like, yep, totally get it. You know, and, and and the movie wants us to embrace that side of ourselves. That's a beautiful thing. No, of course, of course, and 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 I mean, just just speaking now about you know real life personally, like th- that's exactly what we need, right? We need to stop. Um, you know, we were talking earlier about you know what films um, made my love for, for for movies turn. I remember there was a time where I was that guy. I was like, oh yes, uh, I, I might like these other things, but. 
they're of lesser value yeah. than yeah. um you know the the godfathers or the the citizen canes or or you know those those established institutions and anything that smells like those established institutions um but if where you get really enlightened is when you realize no it's it's anything can can give you that um that feeling right you can love the silliest of things you can seriously sit down and say i love citizen kane but i also love and maybe even equally chef or a knight's tale right um because it 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 gives you the same emotional value as as the other one yeah listen this summer i sat down with your brother and watched the sequel to top gun uh, I can't that film, that, 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 that film is is uh, not smart, uh, that, you know, because it can only be as smart as a big dumb action movie with Tom Cruise <laughs> will allow it to be. And yet, I enjoyed every minute of it. You know, it's not going to be on my top ten list of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not going to be on my top ten list of all time. But I enjoy, like, I got my money's worth out of going to see that. The same way I got my money's worth out of going to see Portrait of a Lady on Fire. They, you know, they did different things for me uh, that, that, that I wanted and enjoyed and took value in. And there is nothing wrong with that. Um, you know, th- that's, I think that's, that's what this movie wants. It's, it's like it, it wants you to do two things at once. It wants you to really be better to other people. You know, like, you know, that that's that's really the kind of the message for Nicolas Cage in this movie and for us, but also to like to be better to yourself, you know, like to, to really just yeah, try a little harder, you know, embrace your flaws, embrace what you have to give the world, whether it's, you know, being really crazy or 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 being somebody who props somebody else up like Javi does like Javi, you know, he's there to basically be his corner man. Right. He's like, I know you're down and I know that, you know, like some director listens to you give a, a not asked for screen test and only can say holy shit in response. But you should still, you know, keep going for these things. You know, like you're you're Nicolas Cage. Um, th- this movie, this movie's a marvel. This movie is an absolute gem. I, 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 I can't believe it. I really can't. <laughs> It's kind of funny because we have skirted past something and that's uh, my, my note in the middle of my notes was, and then they drop acid. <laughs> you know, So in amongst all of this really tender, really introspective, you know, really meta, but not too meta stuff, we go on a drug trip and just like everything else in this movie, the f- script and the film knows just how far it can push a drug trip before it'll get too dumb. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's and it's great. You know, they they drive around in oh, and we're gonna talk about this soon. <laughs> the most beautiful silver vintage Porsche yeah. um, convertible. So they don't have a, a, a Terry G. They don't have a Terry Gilliam level drug trip, but they have a great middle of the road comedic drug drug trip where they literally get paranoid about a couple of fellas <laughs> who are watching them. And I love how they start it, right? Because yeah. it is quite literally, um, it, it's like bootstrapping, right? Yeah. Yeah. Where they know, they start by knowing that these people aren't out there to get them. These people aren't 
um, watching them. But just for you know this movie purpose that we're we're doing, what if they were right? Yeah. yeah. What if like let's think about if they were and how we'd respond, and then all of a sudden, just the the raw energy between them, they they believe it. They yeah. are actually. Um, here for us they're watching us they're going to get us and they run away and go around in a circle jump over all sorts of obstacles and find themselves right, right back, back where they the started yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's a great comedic um, there's that and i mean there's also just there, there's this extended but not too extended sequence on a wall where yeah. <laughs> you know it's like i can't get over the wall using as a human <laughs> step stool I can't do that to you. No, please. I, I insist. And up he goes, Oh, come on. I'm going to pull you up. No, I can't make it. Oh no, no, you go on. No. It's like, Hey man. Yeah. It turns out we could just like, it's in the trailer, but in context, it's still so yes. funny. Exactly. It, it's it, exactly. like it's them. It's again, it, it doesn't belabor the, the, it doesn't belabor any of the bits, any of the notes. It is, it's like, they workshopped all of it and thought, you know, too far, too far, too far. That's it. You know, this is so, oh, it's just, mwah, love it. I love it. Um, there, there are lots uh, of souvenirs that one could take away from the unbearable weight of massive talent. I think you've just tipped your hand, uh, Douglas Robinson. What would be your souvenir from this movie? So... It should be that silver porch. Oh, it's porch. not. Okay, it's, it's okay. not. It's okay. not. But it's it's something I really thought of. That silver porch is oh, it's, it's so it's pretty. beautiful. Um, and to be honest, another thing that I thought about very hard, but I don't think I could stomach it for for very long, is a young Nick Cage as an imaginary friend. I don't <laughs> think I could take that as my souvenir. Um, weirdly, you know what? 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 Like I kept coming back to, and and what I while I was watching it. I was just so intrigued by it. And it is um, tangible enough and, and small enough that, that it's actually something that I, I would probably say, hey, I'll, I'll take that if, if it was bestowed upon me. Sure. Is, um, there are a lot of close-ups of Nick Cage's hands and his rings. Oh, yeah, he he's got a really, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and so I'd, I'd definitely cop okay. a few of those. Okay. Um, I don't know if I'd wear it very often. I'm not, I'm not a very flashy, like, um, uh, ring jewelry kind of guy, but gotcha. there's something about those rings, man. I, okay. I'd try. I love it. I'd, I'd make an exception. <laughs> I love it. Um, I mean, so I mentioned earlier, at one point, they go to this, like, Nick Cage trophy room that has all of these scripts and photos and things on display and the one thing it has that i want is it has the bunny from mm. con air put the bunny yeah. back in the box yeah. i want that bunny we rate here on a scale on the matinee cast of one to four stars douglas robinson the unbearable weight of massive talent what do you give this movie so what i give this movie is this um <laughs> i've decided that that I'm not going to do any half points because ain't no half stepping on this podcast. Um, and the more I talk is the more I want to give this movie a four out of four stars. But I'm going to be objective. I'm going to be a, a reasonable human being and say that this movie is amazing, but still not perfect. It is a three out of four stars. Okay. I will be unreasonable. <laughs> I enjoyed this movie far more than I really should have. This is a four-star movie. 
I, you know, I put up like my top five movies of the year earlier this week. I, I did it too early. I should have waited till tonight because this would have been my top five for sure. This is a four star movie. This movie is delightful. It's it's swift. It's like a hundred minutes in out. Does what it needs to do. Uh, it, it's got just like this beautiful conclusion. This wonderful buddy kind of like you know road buddy relationship between Pascal and and Nick Cage. Love it. Love everything about it. Like you know, the only note was not enough dubs, which is to say, no dubs. No four star movie. This movie is fantastic. Love it. Um, hey, maybe you think that this movie is hot garbage, and and I'm just on some heavy, heavy cold meds. Uh, I am, but but maybe, um, or maybe you think that this movie is is a modern masterpiece, and I'm actually not effusing it enough. Let me know. Ryan at the matinee.ca Twitter, where I am matinee underscore ca. Facebook.com slash dark matinee. What do you think? of the unbearable weight of massive talent we are going to take a very very quick break and come back in just a second uh flip the record over and play the other side right after this we are back Matt Nacast 288. He's Douglas Robinson. I'm Ryan McNeil. We've been talking about Nicolas Cage and the massive weight of see <laughs> yes. the unbearable weight of massive talent. Uh, this is the other side. It's further reading, uh, further viewing. Uh, you know, going further down the spiral. Other suggestions after the main feature. Um, Douglas, you have a few that you're going to talk about. So why don't you get us started? What is something that somebody could go on to after the meta goodness? Uh, that is the, the the new Nick Cage joint. Sure. So I, I kept on the theme of uh, this is my life that I am going to share with you. Um, but I am also uh, a ridiculous weirdo. And uh, it goes without saying that being John Malkovich is something very much a, in that oeuvre. Right. Um, and also it has um, the added touch of not just being a little weird because he's weird, but being a little weird because all of a sudden there's like science, science fiction inception levels of, 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 of craziness going on there. Um, so, so I think that would be a, a great little double feature. So this actually dovetails quite nicely because that actually was my first other side <laughs> was being John Malkovich. So I'll, I'll continue on with that one. I got to hear uh, Malkovich do a talk at the Lightbox some years ago, and they were talking about um, you know how that came into to, to be. And he was sitting down with his agent. They were kind of choosing between projects, and you know his agent had like three or four scripts for him to choose between of what he wanted to do next. And Malkovich was like, okay, this one sounds pretty good. And maybe this one, I don't really think about this one. He goes, and he said to his agent, he's like, is there anything else? And his agent's like, well, yeah. <laughs> and he's like, I don't know if you're going to want to do it, but I'd be remiss if I did not tell you. And you know, he laid out for him what Spike Jones had created. I think what I like about both that movie and this movie as companion pieces is they approach um, the personality with the story in mind. You know, like no right-minded actor would ever create one of these stories about themselves 
really. It just it's a bad idea all around. But I think when you get the right kind of approach and they get the talent on board, it sings. Um being John Malkovich along uh you know, it's it's not nearly as meta. I think the only the only way that that movie gets meta is when it keeps making the joke about him being in a jewel thief movie. Um, but that movie, first of all, it has aged spectacularly well. Um, it, it's still just delightful and weird and kooky and beautiful and sad, um, much like the same way this one is. Um, and it holds up. I mean, that was a great year for movies, 1999. Um that was one of the best movies of that year might've been the best movie of that year, depending, um, you know, being John Malkovich where you've got the star playing himself, but a version of himself, uh, you know, and, and, and still dialing it up when he needs to, you know, like that's the thing. Like, I don't think Nicholas cage is what he was in this movie from moment to moment. Uh, you know, like he, he's, he decides when he's got to turn things on and turn things down and whatnot. Malkovich, same thing. Like he knows when he needs to go full Malkovich, um, <laughs> you know, and, and he does in this movie. Um, I missed that one. That's a great, yeah, obviously a great selection if I wanted to choose it as my own, but you, you had another one that you wanted to get into at deeper length. What do you got for your other, your next yes. other side selection? I do. And this one is a little bit different. Um, but the connection that I have is, is, is with, the the way that the films are are are, are driven right okay, sure. and this one is adaptation and okay. the weird thing is more that Jones. More yeah more spike Jones. Jones. there you go yeah yeah um the weird thing about this is even like while i was it wasn't until after i said this is definitely my movie that i then remembered wait a second nick cage is actually in this one as well <laughs> <laughs> and um Nick Cage actually in this movie plays uh, a, a duo. He plays the writer that we all know and love, Charlie Kaufman, um, along with his fabled twin brother, Donald, right? And so I remember when I first watched this movie, I first watched this movie in college with my then film student roommate, who actually is now a, a proper director um, who has movies on Netflix, which I'm like, excited about. But anyway, um, uh, and he would, whenever I'd watch movies with him, um, and I'd watch movies like this and Punch Rock Love and that kind of stuff. Um, he would like have a masterclass in, you know, what is great um, about the cinema. Um, and the thing that, that ties both of these movies for me is my friend, like quite, um, he really explained, he broke it down for me. He was like, listen, when you watch this movie adaptation, a lot of people might think it's a little bit weird, might think it's a little slow, and, and you know, a movie about orchids, really? What's that? But if you look even deeper, you'll notice that Nick Cage plays these two writers, and they're writing a movie. And depending, there's, it, it's a weird process um, to the writing because they're writing it together, but effectively, um, at some stages, Charlie has the reins, and at some stages, Donald has the reins. And they're very different writers, mm -hmm. and they have very different sensibilities. And Charlie is the um, personification of the Charlie Kaufman that we know, which is he will write um, you know, some slow movies, some, some existential stuff. Some, so, so when Charlie is writing, the movie that we are watching and the movie that he is writing is very much in that ilk of, oh, we're talking about orchids and 
look at you know this the pollinations and the this and the that and the whatever. When Donald takes the reins, he's just trying to make himself a blockbuster. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, the movie that we are watching has all of this intrigue with you know um, you know what what's going to happen. People are getting hurt and kidnapped and all of that, and and it will then go back to being about Charlie and his you know relationship and it. So the the movie that we are watching is 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 being mirrored by and driven by the movie that they are creating in the film and that is exactly what happens in the how does it go um the talentless weight of unbearable futures <laughs> like <laughs> right right the unbearable weight of massive talent that's exactly what this is you have this the, this body um movie the, these these two guys, Nick Cage, Javi, um, that are writing a film, and when they say, "Hey, you know what? I think there needs to be some some drama to this," all of a sudden the film becomes more dramatic. Yeah. When when they're thinking about writing, you know, a a, a body story about about a comedy, um, that's what we are watching, and it, it the the film is very much driven by that and and i i was just taken aback by like how somebody could not only do it but do it well in the context like this it it takes you have to really thread that needle um mm-hmm. we're, we're, we're using that phrase a lot tonight take a drink it's it's hard <laughs> i you know I, I i think back on that movie and there are so many things that come to mind first of all uh, in my time now as a person who reads more, I managed to get around to reading The Orchid Thief by Susan Orlean. And the, whoa, that, that, that's, that's not a book. That, like, I, I, I don't, first, I don't know how it ever got published. And I certainly don't know how anybody ever thought this should be a movie. Um, like, I, I fully, like, reading that book, I fully appreciated Charlie Kaufman's struggle to turn that into a film um you know like even though he you know in the movie he's like why can't there just be a movie about flowers like because it wasn't a book about flowers it was a book about just a whole lot of other shit that was not flowers um i think one of the things i love about that movie is nicholas cage plays these two people who look almost exactly alike and he doesn't cheat it but you always know which one is charlie and which one is donald you know, he finds ways to distinguish one from the other in terms of facial expression and posture and just energy, you know, that you can always discern which brother is which. And it's not like one's always wearing red and one's always wearing blue, you know, or one has the scar like friggin' G.I. Joe or something like that. <laughs> you know, like he, he finds a way to make to shape Donald and shape Charlie right down to, like you say, the way that you can tell which one is writing the scenes. Um, I think and now also in hindsight, one of the things I really, really love in a post succession world is Brian Cox as Robert McKee talking about what makes films work and not work and having, you know, we, we threw around the word meta a lot in our, in our main segment, but having this meta moment of saying, wow them in the third act and they will forgive everything else and i mean it's true you know if a movie ends well you will forgive so many things that came before 
you know, and God knows like that, that may be even more pronounced in television. If you can stick the landing of your television show, nobody will care that you had seasons that went in weird directions or, or, or episodes that were terrible. If you stick the landing, if you miss the landing of your television show, God help you. But I love that they include Cox as McKee because Cox has this gravitas that he is able to just use an, like he uses it so well on succession and he's been using it so well in so many movies um, that he just it was not given nearly enough praise for. Um, yeah. Oh man. An adaptation. It's been so long since I saw this movie, that movie. Um, one of mine, you know, so I'd be remiss if I didn't choose a Nick cage movie to go along with this one. And Nick Cage has done some crap. Now you may love it. You may enjoy it. It may, like we said, love what you love, but objectively speaking, the shit is crap from 1996, the Michael Bay classic with Nick Cage and Sean Connery. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about the rock here. People, the, 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 the Bayhem movie so good that it is in the criterion collection, a nuclear threat that is going to be launched from Alcatraz prison. And the only people that can stop it are Sean Connery as this <laughs> prisoner who's been locked away, threw away the key for 30 years, and Nicolas Cage as this scientist. Um, this movie is is just fantastic on so many levels. Um, it, it, it's silly. Uh, it, it, it's it's overly earnest where it needs to be. Uh, it's it's got a a just killer car chase in the middle of it uh i th- this is my brand of crap if, oh, if if i had one nick cage movie to go with this would probably be my pick i don't know that this would be my pick um but i adore this film mm-hmm. um and it's one that i come back to very many times um i, I remember i watched it recently and i realized that my favorite my favorite scene, my favorite shot, actually, of this film is when um, Ed Harris is standing in front of a, a, a cemetery yeah. and they do a close-up of the tombstone and the tombstone just says, his wife. Beloved and, wife. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I just thought that's hilarious. Um, uh, but this movie, as you say, it's, it's, it's great. It's the right, um, the right amount of Michael Bay the the right amount of nonsense um the right amount of action uh, to just you know meld into what like it just smells like the 90s it smells like my childhood yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know it's so great <laughs> it's i mean it's funny because like b was able to start doing like just bigger and bigger and bigger things as he went along right like, like it was kind of mm-hmm. like bay in a weird way it kind of feels like people stopped telling him no yeah you know but for for a while there he he knew just like how much bullshit mm-hmm. he could get like just very early in his career when i say it's a minute i really mean it was a minute but, you know around the time you get to things like armageddon and pearl harbor he's he's past the line you know what oh yeah on, I, I mean, it, listen i still enjoy i still enjoy armageddon for what it is uh you know absolutely and and i i enjoy i enjoy me some pain and gain but there's a lot of bayhem out there that's just too much bayhem you said you had one more 
Yeah, I do have one more that I just want to touch on a little bit. And um, it's kind of a two-hander. Sure. Uh, because I guess I could almost just lump it up into the person, one person. And we're back to this concept of somebody creating a fictionalized version of themselves. Um, and that man goes by the name of Jean-Claude Van Damme. Oh, and he had a movie called JCVD some years ago. Right. That was... I'll be honest with you, similar to this one in the sense that I thought there's no way. And then I watched it and I was like, oh, wait, actually, I really enjoyed this movie. Um, and it's, it's, it's great, this, this weird version of, of, of himself that, that gets caught into uh, uh, a situation that um, action star JCVD would definitely have you know, managed. right? And um, while I was actually thinking about this, like Jean-Claude is clearly um, drinking that, that Kool-Aid because he then did it again with Amazon um, just recently, maybe the last, what, five years um, with a, a TV show by the name of Jean-Claude Van Johnson, um, where he plays a pretend spy. Yeah, uh, <laughs> so there's a lot of JCVD to go around, but, but um, in particular, that movie uh, is, is one that we could, it would be a lesser version, but it, it could be a, a, a bookend to a double a double bill. There we go. Um, that is episode 288 of the Matinee Cast. I am so thankful that Douglas Robinson was able to make the time and come back after so long away. Um, come on back on July 18th for episode 289. I'm not sure what we're going to be talking about yet, but it's July something is going to come out and it'll be good and we'll talk about it uh douglas of course is on the unnamed movie podcast uh do you know what's coming up next for you guys yes so uh depending on andrew's release schedule um we either just watched or are about to watch uh on the count of three um which is jared carmichael's movie after that we are going to talk about or RRR, however you pronounce that. Right. Um, right. So, so we've, we've got I ourselves. I hear the jokes in my head right now. <laughs> I can already hear them. Exactly. Um, or, or maybe it's R, the pirate movie. I don't know. But <laughs> oh we're going to have ourselves a, a fun little time soon. <laughs> How did I describe you off the top of the show? Oh, yeah. Foolishness meets introspection. Yep. That, there, there you go. Uh, if people do want to follow you on Twitter and find out what's going on with Man City, where can they find you? They can find me at DJR Lost His Name. Very cool. My site is thematinee.ca for more audio content. You can find back episodes there. You can also find them in all the usual places. Spotify, Apple, Stitcher Radio, Google, Pocket Cast, uh, TuneIn. There's some new places as well. Radio Public, CastBox, Podchaser. Uh, if there's a platform I haven't mentioned that you like, uh, please let me know. It's really easy for me to put it there. Uh, give you handy ways to subscribe to the show and get alerts when new episodes drop. Feedback on Nick Cage or any of the other movies that we talked about today can be left in the comment section of the site. You can email me, ryan at thematinee.ca. On Twitter, I am matinee underscore CA if you want to watch me kick some hurdle ass every morning. And uh, there's always Facebook, facebook.com slash darkmatinee. Any final thoughts, Mr. Robinson? Um, ryan, as always, it has been an absolute pleasure and thank you again for deeply ashamed at how long it took me to get you back <laughs> i swear it would not take me for you like there was a whole presidential administration Ooh, that yeah, went by in between there was you know there was a pandemic that yeah. came and potentially ended in between it, oh has it has it uh, <laughs> it's slowed 
<laughs> it hasn't ended, but it's slowed. Uh, it has not ended. That's for damn sure. For Douglas, I'm Ryan. We will see you at the matinee.